Hello guys and welcome to One Pissed Mom. This is my podcast and it is about One Pissed Mom. I'm pissed about the murders, the missing, the crimes, and all of the crazy things that are happening to our children. I'm sure many of you can agree. This world has not been kind to our children. I find myself watching these stories and hearing about these stories and silently crying to myself when really I want to scream out loud and cry and get on the phone and call my friends and say, can you believe that? This is exactly what this podcast is about. Let's become friends. Let's scream. Let's cry. Let's find solutions. Let's help find missing kids. Let's do what we can do. So let's jump right in. Episode one. This episode, I couldn't pick another episode to be my first episode on this podcast Uh, This episode is super, super close to me. It's my cousin. He was murdered when he was 11 years old. And I want to tell this story. Um, I remember speaking to my aunt about him and what happened and just the, the hurt and the anger in her eyes. And it was like it transferred to me. I think that was about maybe 10 years ago when me and her had that conversation and I have been pissed about child abuse and about child murders and about missing children ever since me and her had that conversation outside of her house. I just could not believe that someone so close in my family had been subjected to such horrible, horrible crimes. Um, I want to thank you for listening and let's jump right in. So I would like to preface this first episode by saying that I am not an investigator. I am not a professional. Um, I, I research these cases and bring them to you as a mom to discuss these horrible things. Um, so in no way am I any type of expert. Uh, this case, of course, I found, I got a lot of my information from my aunt and my mother. So with that, we'll get started. My first episode, Christopher Allen Brown. He was born November 6, 1973. Um, he was awesome in school, great at sports. Uh, he loved music. His favorite song was Chaka Khan Through the Fire. He loved to play Batman, Pac-Man, excuse me. He loved fishing. He really loved fishing. Um, and he was just an all-around good kid. I can remember growing up uh, at parties and I vaguely remember when he went missing I was about four or five and I I I remember him being at different house parties we would all get together and go to my granny's house and all of the aunts because I believe my mother has like 12 sisters like four brothers we would all get together and all of the cousins would pile up for you know there was no need for outside kids at a birthday party at my granny's house because we had so many cousins. So I can always remember him at the party and always nice. I was the first of the girls in my age. So I have older cousins that are much older and then younger cousins, younger girl cousins that are much younger. But I was in that age group where I was able to hang with them, but not really. And so I remember him always being really, really sweet, really, really just kind. And and those are really the only memories I have of him so his mother uh Brenda Simpson uh, dad or his father uh, Justine Brown 
they were together for a while. They, of course, it didn't work out. They got divorced and they both ended up getting married, finding them other spouses. Uh, so Brenda Simpson married Harvey Simpson and Justine married Rosalind Pettiford. Uh, so they had their separate households and it was set up where Alan would go, you know, and have visitations with dad. And the relationship with Rosalind and Brenda, it wasn't the best. It was strained. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why I never dug into that because to me, I don't know if it was that important in the grand scheme of things. So their relationship, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. It was, uh, you know, kind of half speaking when you get that. Um, but they made it work for the kids that were involved because Justine and Rosalyn also had kids together and then Alan was coming from. So it was a blended house. And so it takes a lot to, to make that work. Trust me. Um, so he would go and he would visit and, uh, Brenda started to realize that the older that he, the older he got, he just didn't want to go. And I know sometimes that happens, you know, you got younger siblings over at the dad's house and you're feeling some type of way over there uh, and you just want to be home. You just want to be with your mom, you know, and sometimes that kind of stuff happens where kids just don't want to go either to mom or dad. You know, sometimes they're, you know, maybe their favorite toy is at dad's house or their favorite toy is at mom's house. One thing that could always get Alan to dad's house was fishing. He loved when him and his dad would go fishing. It was like their thing to do. So fast forward to April of 1985, and this was this Easter break that they had, and uh, it was dad's weekend to get him. Dad comes over, and Alan's like, no, I, you know, I don't want to go. Not this weekend. I'm not interested. And his dad, they went back and forth, and mom is like, you know, if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to. But he, dad is like, well, come on, you know, we're going to have a good time. This is Easter break. Let's do it. How about... I set it up where we can go fishing. Me and you, we can go fishing and we'll enjoy the weekend. Well, that was all that needed to be said. Alan was in. All right, let me grab my bag. Let's do it. I'm, I'm in. Um, that sadly will be the last time that Brenda saw her son alive. Um, I just, I keep, I continue to think about what she felt and and how she continues to see that image that I love you mom I love you too and him being gone and he was 11 years old so that's old enough he's got his own you know unique personality his likes his dislikes you know he's got his room set up the way he likes it you know with all his own personality so that's that's tough that's really tough so April 12th comes and my aunt gets home, or Brenda gets home from work, and a couple of her sisters are sitting on the front porch. And she knows instantly that something is wrong. So she asks them, what's up? What's going on? What's wrong? They let her know, Alan is missing. And she's like, there is a no way he can be missing. He is with his dad. Yeah, how can he be missing? Like, was he dropped off here and nobody was here? What's going on? Now, one thing she did know about her son was that he did not go, he didn't go where he wasn't, you know, where, where he shouldn't have been going. He, he always got permission. He never wandered off. He never ran away. He wasn't that type of kid who, you know, you had those issues with. 
I mean, and you never know. You never know. Things could have changed in his life. But as far as she knew, her 11-year-old son would never, ever run off, never do anything like that. So instantly, they go back over to dad's house. And she's like, hey, what's going on? Like, When is the last time you've seen him? What is, what's the problem? He says, well, I, you know, dad was, I was at work. Uh, Rosalind went and got um, his his wife. Rosalind went and got Alan from Justine's sister's house. He was over there visiting while he was at work, and and she brought him back home. She got them food, and she had to run out. So she ran out, and she got them food. Now she says that she, when she walked up, she said, "Hey, I got McDonald's. Alan, come on in the house, eat." And when she pulled off, Alan hadn't made his way into the house, but she figured he would. You know, it's McDonald's in the house. What kid wouldn't? And she said she hadn't seen him since then. When she got back from where she was coming from, he was gone and they hadn't been able to find him. My aunt instantly went into panic mode. She started making the flyers. She called the local newspaper. Something is wrong. And in 1985... From what I remember as a four and five year old, I remember us playing outside freely. I can remember one of my other cousins going to a house behind us, cutting through a yard and staying past dark. Kids weren't kidnapped and taken. And so we were we were kind of hopeful that maybe, you know, that him not wanting to go with his father kind of spilled over into him, you know, going over a friend's house and waiting that was absolutely not the case. 18 days go by. 18 days. I mean, I, I don't know. 18 days. The, 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 the horror that, my, that Brenda had to be going through. I mean, it's just, it's unimaginable. Because in your mind, you're thinking every single horrible thing is going through your head. But to know that you have a child that's out there and you just don't know where or what's going on with them, it's almost too much for me. It's almost too much for me to think about. And I think when me and her sat and we were talking about the story, that is, I I sat there like those 18 days had to be, I mean, the worst days of her entire life. I mean, even after, you know, even after what she eventually found out that happened to him, these, these 18 days had to be absolute horror. Okay. So April 30th comes and they find Alan in the Flint river. We're from Flint, Michigan. And this is where this happened. They find him in the Flint river and initially they rule it a homicide. Oh no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. An accident. they they, They say, you know what, he must have been, you know, waiting for dad to go fishing, went down by the lake, slipped, fell in, and drowned. And my aunt is like, (laughs) absolutely not. Like, she's not playing that bullshit. She does not want to hear it. She's like, my kid would not go down by the river. He knows he's not supposed to be down there by himself. He would never go down there. They ruled it an accident. They said no. And by the way, does he drink? And my aunt is like... I'm sorry. What do you mean? Does he drink? Of course he does. He's 11. No. These questions to her are just, you know, and I know that when you know, I have a 13 year old. And so I know the things that he would do and he wouldn't do. And so to say, and you know, and things happen. I have a 13 year old. So 
he's surprising me every day now but at 11 and the type of kid that you that you have like my now I have a nine-year-old my nine-year-old I can tell you what he would do and what he wouldn't do he's just not that kind of kid now my 13 year old he'll she'll shock me every once in a while but Alan was like my nine-year-old where you just knew like that's just not something that he would do he was a rule follower he was just a good kid he was a sweetheart no I'm not buying it and he was not a dr- alcoholic or a drunk or drinking so they said no i mean he was we found in his toxicology report we found that he had a blood alcohol level of 0.15 that's two times the legal limit for an adult this is a kid and my aunt is like there is like there's no way there must be some type of mistake it couldn't it couldn't be nope so they started to get swamped. Well, before, well, no, after they found his body, they started getting swamped with tips. Well, people saying that, you know, they saw him getting into all different types of cars. Um, just crazy tips, you know, like, and so now we're on the manhunt for this person in this van or this car. The tips were probably too much as well. So my aunt, what did she do? She calls. Her friend at the Flint newspaper, Jeff Smith. And she says, hey, I want to tell you this story. I want you to put this story out. We need to find out who did this to my son because this is not an accident. It's it's not. It it wasn't. Let's just get this out. So Jeff Smith, he went to visit Rosalind and Justine and, you know, that side just to, to find out what more they could add to the story to kind of help out. Well, Jeff Smith said, well, Jeff said when he got there that, Rosin wouldn't look him in his eye. She just was, and, and you know, he didn't know. He thought maybe she felt guilty because she was the last, you were in, look, if, if something happens to my kid and you're the last person to see him or, or have him or supposed to have been watching him, then you better feel guilty. I mean, that is just, it, it is what it is. So Brenda, she wasn't, she wasn't having it. She was not giving it up, giving up. She came to the police station at least two to three times per week. She said, no, no, I'm not, you know, this is not, this is not what it is. She couldn't get anyone to budge. She just couldn't get anyone to budge. And it was all just too much for her. So four years after they bury Allen, she moves away. She says, you know, this is too much. I can't do it. She moves away. She moves to California. Her and her husband. She's got two other kids. One other kid, I know for sure. I'm not sure how old my youngest cousin with her is. And Alan starts to come to her in her dreams. And it was kind of like she said that he was that same age, 11 years old. He never aged. And it was kind of like he was pushing her to come back and solve the crime because she felt like this was not an accident. Well, she knew her son. She felt like this was not an accident. He was pushing her, pushing her. You need to come back. You need to come back and solve this crime. So in 2002, she does exactly that. 17 years later, she comes back home. And Brenda is a feisty. She's not giving up. I mean, most mothers are like that. And you can't imagine how you be losing a child and 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 then being called oh my gosh it was an accident but deep down in your heart you feel like you know 
somebody did something to your kid. I mean, you, I never give up. You, you, you eat, sleep and, and just think about that forever. That that's all that could be on your mind. She comes back. She said, so, so she was dealing with an officer tall and this was the officer that was in, in, in charge. And he said he, he got interviewed and he said, you know, I, I would come and she would be sitting outside my office. She would call the police station so much that they knew her voice. So they would pick up and say, hey, Brenda, how you doing? I mean, they knew exactly who she was because she was calling and she was on it. And, you know, as a mother, you get that mama bear instinct. So skip the pleasantries, you know, skip the pleasantries. What have you done on my son's case? What's up? So she kept calling. She would sit outside and she said, you know what? Fine. You know, just bring, bring me my son's file. She just wants it. She's like, bring me my son's file. I'll do this. I want to see. And I mean, props to her. She had them bring her Alan's file and she went through it. And let's just take a moment and think about that. She went through the file, the pictures, the autopsy reports, the witness statements. So she was able to see what you know, what everybody, what everybody was saying. She was able to see what he looked like when they pulled him out of the river. I mean, that would, it seemed like that will haunt you forever. And I'm sure, I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. I mean, that kind of pain, that kind of trauma, it absolutely never leaves you. It ne- I mean, it never le- I lost my kid in a Walmart once for about five minutes and I'm still traumatized off that. This is on a totally different level. So she's going through, she's going through her, her child's file. I mean, line by line, line by line. She's not playing around line by line. She's going through his file and she comes across where a woman who happens to be now follow me on this. So Justine's wife is Rosalind. Rosalind has a brother named Montel Pettiford. Montel was married to a woman named Kathy. Okay, so she sees where they interviewed a woman named Kathy who said that she saw Rosalind and Montel forcing him to drink alcohol and that they had been sexually abusing him for months. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry, what? Where was this when the original investigation should have been going on? What, where, where was this? Nope, nope. This sat in that file for all those years where someone has said, this is an eyewitness to say, (laughs) the stepmother who you trusted your child with and her brother, she was allowing her brother to sexually assault and 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 traumatize i mean can you imagine what he went through when he was crying because because he didn't want to go over there who knows what the fuck they were doing to him who knows he was mortified to go over there and i'm trusting you to take care of the most important part of me living outside my body I'm I'm trusting you to take care of him and you are abusing him behind my back. 
Now, in between that time when she found this out, things had happened between... Now, I told you, my, my mother, they have about 12 sisters. Um, so things happened between Rosalind and the 12 sisters in between that time that I won't mention because it was all, you know, <laughs> taken care of in the streets because I think deep down my aunts, my aunt, you know, my mother, they all knew that she had to have something to do with it. Your excuse just wasn't good enough and it wasn't. I don't think that they felt that she felt bad enough about what had happened, knowing that you were the last person with them. So things went down, you know, they got to put their hands on her just a little bit. I won't say who or when or whatever, but, and absolutely they should have. And for that to know that that sat in the file for all those years and it was, and nothing was done with it. Brenda was, uh, if there's another word for pissed or irate to know that this, that all these years, some woman had seen something and for months. So they went back and they, they, they started. So she started talking. She's like, hey, look at this. Look at what's going on. Look at, look at, you know, look at this information. Look what I have here. And so they went back and they interviewed Justine's sister, who, where Alan was that day. Earlier that day, that's where he was. And Rosalind picked him up from there. Justine's sister said that when she was with him, the stepmom comes to get him and Alan lost it. Now this part, I'm sorry, there will be crying on this podcast because this is beyond me. She says, when the stepmom came to get him, he cried and he cried and he lost it. And he said, please don't send me with her. I mean, what had, you know, you wonder what had, what did he know? What did he know? You know, what did he know was going to happen to him? And that's the reason why he behaved that way because his, her, his aunt was like floored. She didn't know. She said she had never seen him behave that way. And then he, he just lost it. Please don't make me go. Please don't make me go. And she can remember watching the car pull away and him beating on the window crying. In my opinion, I believe that when Alan started to act out, and, and, and vocalize and say he did not want to go. I think that scared her and her brother that they could be in some trouble sometime soon. Like he may be getting old enough and brave enough to talk. Like if he's starting to say he doesn't want to go, next he's going to start telling why, why he doesn't want to go. So in my opinion, they probably put something in his head. Like we, we have, like you are going to be, in, we're going to torture you. We're going to do whatever. And that's the reason why he just, he just did not want to go. So we had, so now that it's moving. So they say, you know what? We need to find Kathy and find out exactly what she saw, what she, what she knows. But finding Kathy was super hard. She had moved to North Carolina. Now her and Montel were not together anymore. And they, they did have kids. I believe too. I'm not exactly sure, but they had kids. 
she had been in and out of a mental institution. She, she had had a hard life. She wasn't, you know, the ideal witness that you want to go and, and interview from something that happened way back in the day. Or so you think. Once they find her, they're like, um, her story, she is, she's saying exactly what she said then. Now she's, she hasn't changed. She's not wavering. She knows what she's talking about. She knows exactly what she's talking about. So they bring Rosalind in to question and they have audio of her being questioned. And it's so hard for me to listen to because her attitude is super nonchalant. That's what it sounds like to me. Oh, please, you know, I didn't have nothing to do with it. It's kind of like, you're wasting my time, blah, blah, blah. Four hours after being interviewed, she admitted that her brother was the one who did it. She said, you know, he was the one who, he was the one who took him down and threw him in the river. I didn't do anything, but I knew he did it. I knew he did it. Now, Kathy, Kathy said, look, I was at home with the kids making food. They walked in and they were holding him like one arm on one person, one arm on the other person. And he looked like he was drunk or passed out or whatever. And she said he brought, Mattel went over and brought a bottle and it was poison, poured it into his Kool-Aid. He ate, they made him, they forced him to eat the Kool-Aid, forced him to drink the Kool-Aid, forced him to eat his eggs. And then they left with him. Kathy says when they came back there, they didn't have him and they were muddy. And I mean, if you can imagine that a sister and brother could get together and be okay with this. I mean, you gotta be two sick bastards. I mean, really sick to just for your brother to come and say hey how about this and you're like okay let's do it you have to be extremely sick in the head for two of you i had a friend once and this is totally off subject but i had a friend not once she's still my friend and we would laugh because going through high school and in our younger years we would say you know together we have a whole brain because apart we only have half these two there was absolutely nothing there. There was nothing there. But the investigators, the investigators said, this is not enough. We need more. We need, you know, we need more. Can we, can we exhume his body? Okay. They exhume his body. Now, keep in mind, guys, this is 17, 18 years later. Maybe more. They exhume his body and they find the poison. And I, you know, I remember this chatting with my aunt and I I don't like to call her and talk about it because it's, you know, I listened that one time and, you know, nobody wants to call somebody and say, hey, let's talk about the most traumatizing time in your life. But from my memory, I can remember her telling me that when he was buried, she brought a special bag to put him in just to kind of, to preserve his body and you know as much as you could and so when they exhumed him there was so much evidence because of that bag that she had bought him now 
she'll listen to this and she'll correct me. Let me tell you. Um, but I, I, rem- I, I remember her telling me that she got this bag. And so when they exhumed his body, they were able to trace this poison that, you know, and they were able to trace. And, and so now Kathy's story is making sense. It's, it's making sense. So they got this new prosecutor. He's coming on. He, he's coming on. He's going to help out with this. He's like, you know what? This, we're going to get them. We know exactly. So this prosecutor, he was, first he was 13 years old when Alan died. 13 years old. And he took it to court and he's like, come on, come on people. Now they had two separate juries and both juries were like, you know, this is crazy. Now their team tried to say it was an accident, you know, and okay. Even for me as a mom, even if it was an accident, let's say, but because we know it wasn't, but let's say it was an accident. So nobody, nobody jumped in to try to help him. You didn't feel like it was necessary to call the police. Instead, you went and you let him be missing for 18 days. No, you were covering it up and you were hoping that nobody found, nobody found him and you could get away with it. And he was just this kidnapped boy who would never come back. That is what she thought with her defense as an accident. And she claims that she's going to be appealing her sentence and she'll be back. And no, no, bitch. No. This story was so, you know, you hear, you watch the stories and you hear about the horrible things that happen to people and kids and you never, ever, ever ever can imagine anything like that happening to you 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 you're all it's always so separate and the things that do happen to you are they're usually not this horrible they're you know bad things happen you you know you maybe lose your house in a fire which is horrible but you can never imagine your 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 son's father's wife they were married for over 20 years. They had kids together. She stayed married to him. Even after she killed his son. They slept in the same bed. And during the trial, she, he said that to her. Like, you slept next to me after you killed my son. You know, so for, as I was saying, so when, when bad things like this happen, in real life to you, it is, is almost unbelievable. And, and it, it makes you realize that things like this are happening. Things like this are happening to children out there. Stepmothers, stepfathers, whatever, you know, you have these adults who may not like you. And so they'll take it out on your children because Montel didn't feel like Alan's dad liked him and Rosalind didn't feel like Alan's mom liked him. And so what is the one Things standing in the way of us even having to ever deal with Brenda and Harvey. What is the one thing that's in the way? This beautiful child. I mean, what two two sick individuals? Two sick, and and then you go on and you have children, and I feel bad for them. Like I, 
And I'm sure they probably believe their mom. I don't know for sure. I've never spoken to them. I know I went to high school with a family member of hers, like a close family member of hers. And we, we never knew. I think we saw each other in court once because I did go to the, I did go to the trial and, but we never put two and two together, but now I remember. And, and now I remember. And so I'm, I'm sure they believe her. I'm sure they feel like my mother couldn't do this because nobody wants to think like that a woman can have kids and try to be happy and, and try to just move on with her life after taking the life of such a sweet and I mean, he, maybe he, he couldn't, he didn't have to be sweet, you know, but who are you to be the judge and the jury and the executioner right there on the spot? And, and, and for how weak, Oh, and let's not even get into her brother. How weak of a man to prey on an 11-year-old boy because you feel like you're not liked. How weak of a man, okay? During the trial, eight days of testimony. Eight days it went on. Two days the jury deliberated. Guilty. Life in prison, both of them. Guilty. My aunt says she has no more dreams. It's kind of like he he knew she had that in her. He knew she had it in her to go back and get this woman. He knew. He knew. And so he stayed on her. And then after this trial, no more dreams. No more dreams. You know, I... I often say, like, let's protect our kids. Let's do what we can to protect our kids. But in this story, she could have never, ever known that someone so close to him would be the one to to, to take it out on him. I, the advice that she has given me, because I was a mom when me and her talked about this, is if your child says he does not want to go, don't make him go. So I guess that is the lesson in this episode is you got a kid that's old enough to yell and scream and you know that it's not because daddy don't give sweets or mommy won't give sweets over there, but because this, this is not how your kid behaves. This is not how your kid behaves. Your kid is not this way. Listen to them, investigate, find out what's going on. Her regret has to be, and, and it shouldn't be regret, regret. It shouldn't be regret. It should be a life lesson, uh, not even a life lesson. I don't know what to call it. I don't know. And, and, you know, I struggle with this because most people, you know, it's a blessing. It was this time. I don't, you know, I just can't, I, I, it's too much. It's too much. And so they sit in prison now and she says she's going to appeal and, you know, it's kind of like, bring it on. If you go back and listen to her testimony, you'll, and hear her speak for herself. And she, she says, I told him I didn't want to get him. And, and she says a reason why she didn't want to get involved in this because she didn't want her husband to be mad at her. She didn't want to be into it with her husband. I mean, it was like these people didn't look at him as a human child. They looked at him as kind of just a 
an object in the way of what they wanted. How sick. So we have to be careful and listen to our kids and pay attention to when they are around family, friends, strangers, whoever. You pay attention to every single person that's in your child's life. Because in this day and age, like from that moment, April April 12th, when Allen went missing, in my mind, the world changed to people who say they love your children. You, you still got to watch them too. People who say they love your children, you have to watch them. Especially people who say they love your children and they, they cannot stand you. That's a big one for me. Especially when you have kids who can't talk because I just, it, I, I, it scares me. And it scared me when I had my two that someone could hate me so much. That you could hate me so much that you could abuse and hurt my child. It is the scariest and, and most unsettling feeling that I get in my, in deep down in my, in my soul and in my gut. And what I think this was the biggest lesson that I learned becoming a parent. I was 23 when I had my, my oldest son. And this was the biggest lesson. This was the biggest lesson to me. And this has stuck with me forever. It, it has been in my gut. It, and when, so when my son is like, nope, and he's, a, he's chill. Both my kids are chill. They just want to sit at home. They just want to play their games. They don't mind. They, got, they can snack and eat at home. So they don't mind. They don't have to go anywhere. So, but when you say you don't want to go, we're going we gonna to find out why and you're definitely not going to be made to go. And that was her advice to me as a you know, mom to mom and as a mom who had been through the worst tragedy that you could ever go through and live to tell about it and, and live to give other people strength and live to fight for him every day and live to not go and kill who you thought had harmed your kid the amount of strength that you have to have and still be able to go on and she had two more kids and and she had other issues with those with with one of her other sons just a strong woman all around who's been through so so much this story hit me hard and it didn't it didn't just hit me hard because he was my first cousin and we grew up together and our mothers were sisters our sisters I'm sorry but just because it showed me the evil in the world and we have to protect our kids. We have to love our children. We have to stand up for our kids, get to know them, talk to them. This was just, this was horrible. It was scary. It shook me to my core and it gave me a different look on who she was, my aunt Brenda, as a woman. It gave me a different look on you know, who she was and how strong she was. I mean, oh, nothing else can shake her. What what can what can hurt her? What can hurt her? She lost a child and after losing him in such a tragic way and being told, no, 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 no. You know, he 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 was an accident. It didn't happen. For her to continue to come back and continue to fight for him. And then to find out that it was somebody that you trusted with your child. They asked her at the, one of her interviews that she did, they asked her why, like what, what, what made you continue to come back? What made you, what made you fight for him? 
and she says, I loved him and I just didn't think he deserved to die like that. So I had to fight. I had to fight for him. No one else could do it but me. No one else was going to care like I cared. No one else was going to push like I was going to push. So I just had to do it. Man, what a strong, strong woman. This is concluding this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, my next episode will be about a missing child. Let's get some numbers out there. Let's get some, let's, let's talk about it. I hope you enjoyed. Let's protect our children. They deserve it.